I gave a shir uh, a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, about Torah, the greatness of Torah. And what I want to do is complete it tonight. <clears throat> to finish up with some of the ideas of <clears throat> how do we understand that Torah is so great? Because it says that Talmud Torah connected Kulam. That Talmud Torah is greater than all the mitzvahs, the other 612 mitzvahs combined. <clears throat> and I went through many ideas um, in order to understand the concept. But I want to cover tonight certain ideas within a, which in a certain way finalizes the idea. Although of course there's always more much, there's always much more to say and so on, you know. <clears throat> uh, I had mentioned that all the Rebbe actions, okay, are done through what's called the Ten Forces, called the Spheres. And each action that he does, God has a certain name for that, you see. <clears throat> so therefore, <clears throat> uh, what the Torah really is, as the Ramban says, is the, is the names of God. And what that means is that, <clears throat> that, is that the Torah is the complete repository of all the acts of God that he has ever done concerning this creation. That's basically what it is. And therefore, every act that he does, he has a certain name for it, which really is a certain combination of spheres, and has a name, and th those names are all inscribed in the Torah. And what the Torah really is, is a document, of course, that has a name, or includes all the names of what God has done. Uh, but I want to mention also something which is very interesting, and just like the, the words represent his actions, of course, so do letters. But the letters themselves really have four components, if you think about that. They have what's called Tanto, that's the abbreviation for Taimim, Nikudis, uh, Tagin, and Oisios. Tanto. And what does that mean? That means that the, uh, the every, every letter basically has, it has a Tam, which is a cantillation, it's called a Trap. Ma'pach, Pashtoz, Okev, Koton, Koton, and so on, Gershayim, um, uh, and, uh, you know, Zokev, uh, Kadol, and so on. Uh, these are what's called a Tamim, they're trap. They are what's called a musical cantillation. But what they really are is, you know, as we see them, is basically punctuations. Uh, <clears throat> the second thing is called the Nekudis, which are the vowel points. These are the vowels that, of course, uh, go under or in between all the consonants of the alphabet. Then, of course, you have tagin, which is the crown. Now, not all the letters have crowns, obviously. Uh, the ones that have crowns is called shatnes gates. You know, um, they have crowns on them. They're called tagin. And then, of course, you have the letter itself. Now, that means each letter really has four different compartments or four different um, elements to it. And all of these elements, the cantillation, which is the punctuation marks, the timem, the nekudis, which are the vowels, and then you have the crowns for those that have crowns, and then you have also the, the letters themselves, the oisios, all of them represent really different aspects of spheres. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is that the two of them, Taimim and Nikudis, the, the punctuations and the vowels, 
they're not written in the Torah. Only the crowns and the letters are written in the Torah. And that's because the spiritual level of these two, the timim, the uh, punctuations, and the, the kudus, they represent forces or spheres that are so subtle and so great that they cannot even be written down in the Torah itself. Even though obviously we read the Torah, we have the trup, uh, and we also have, of course, the vowels. But those spheres are so great and so uh, lofty that they're not even written down. Although, in a mystical way, they do come together with the, the Sefer Torah, the Torah scroll. <clears throat> it's interesting that Chazal say that Shlomo Melech was so great. That Shlomo Melech was so great. Now, we don't understand who Shlomo Melech was. You know, he's the king of Israel, son of Dovra Melech. But the interesting thing about Shlomo Melech is that he was so great, so wise, because the Bansham asked him, Would you like to have riches or in wisdom? So, of course, he said wisdom. So, Bansham gave him both. But when God says, Would you like wisdom? and you say yes, and he says, Okay, the wisdom is beyond what we can understand. He was able to see thousands of halochas from each tag from each crown on a letter. you imagine? We have no idea what that means. Now, another person who obviously had the wisdom or the knowledge of how to do that was Rabbi Akiva. Um, in the Gemara in Menachas, when the Rav Shem, Moshe Rabbeinu said, when he was receiving the Torah, so the Rav Shem was giving him the, also the crowns on the letters. So Moshe Rabbeinu asked him, well, what are these for? She said, because in the future, there will be an individual, who of course was Rabbi Akiva, that will darshan, which means he will expound bundles and bundles of halacha just on the crown of the letter. You see, that's what he said. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, show me. Show me him, you see. So the Bansham projected him into the future, and all of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu wound up in his class, however that works. And Moshe Rabbeinu, he, Rabbi Akiva was giving a shear, and Moshe Rabbeinu did not understand the shear, you see, which is amazing. Uh, and there's all kinds of Torah on what, what was in the shear that he didn't understand. But for an instant, Moshe Rabbeinu was jealous. For an instant, you know. And uh, because he, he actually didn't understand what Rabbi Akiva was saying. And he was mollified when, Moshe Rabbein, when Rabbi Akiva said, this is a halacha of Moshe Misenai. You know, so he felt uh, better and so on. But what we see from here <clears throat> is Rabbi Akiva had the chokhmah. He had the knowledge of how to expound bundles and bundles of halachas from the crown of the letters itself. Now, we don't have that. We've lost that uh, chokhmah. Uh, but all of these four things really represent a tremendous amount of spheres and so on. So it's not by accident that you have these things. You know, we take it for granted. Well, a vowel is a vowel, you know, or a punctuation mark is a punctuation. You know, they read the Torah with the uh, music, you know, cantillation and so on on, on Shabbos. So we take it for granted in terms of what these things are. But really, the Torah itself, all of these things represent tremendous amount of uh, divine energies and spheres and so on. And that all goes into the creation itself of the entire world. 
So that's, that's a very interesting idea to remember when we're thinking about the greatness of Torah in terms of all the incredible things that it composes, uh, that it is composed of. The whole concept of Tanto, time in the Kudus, Tagin in Oisius. In any case, uh, this is really what it's all about. Now also, you want to ask something? Yeah? Could you explain one thing? When you were talking about this, I read maybe it was just the locals, I don't know, maybe to tell her that's black fire or yeah, white fire. fire. Yeah. Um, what's white fire or black fire? What, what is no? Though that obviously is a mystical illusion, okay, to the different layers of Torah as represented by black fire, white fire, and so on, you know? Because um, those are mystical illusions Kabbalistically to the different levels of awe, of, of, of uh, divine spheres, so and so on. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. In fact, w one of the ideas that we see is when the, the ten martyrs uh, that were killed by Hadrian uh, you know the uh, what's called the Asura Rugi Malchus, the ten martyrs of the uh, of the Rome and so on. When they were killed, one of them was was a Rav Hanina ben Tradyoim, was a very great man, obviously, and so on. He's a Tano Tano, and what they did is they wrapped a Sefer Torah around him, you see, and they burnt him together with the Sefer Torah. And it's, this is classic, classic uh, Rome and so on, you know. So, as the, the Sefer Torah was dying, or as he was dying and the Sefer Torah was being burnt, he saw the letters of the Torah ascend. You see, he saw them ascend. And of course, what that is, that there's a vehicle for Torah, which is the parchment itself. But the spirituality of the Torah, okay, is the letters itself, and that ascends, that cannot be burnt because it is of a spiritual nature and so on, you know? So this is what uh, we see. Look, there is obviously, there are many different levels, Kabbalistic levels, there are allusions to what these things mean and so on. So certainly not, now is not the time to do it. But in any case, so what I've just said is a very important idea, the whole concept of the Tanto, the Tamim, the Nekudus, the Tagen and the Oisios the uh, cantillations or the uh, punctuation marks uh, the uh, the uh, vowels and then you have the crowns and you have the letters itself and then you also you have the sub letters and you have the gematria the numerical values and so on <coughs> but one of the things i forgot also to mention which is very interesting is that there's another dimension of the letters of the torah and that is what is the name of that letter and then based on that what is the spelling of the name of that letter that's called the miloi which means it's spelling for instance okay aleph so aleph how do you spell aleph aleph lay lamet pay aleph or rather it's really olaf and so on you know so uh, that the name of the the graphic symbol called aleph which we know how it looks right uh, is called Olef, right? Aleph Lamed Pei, which itself has a gematria. You see, it has, the, you know, it's the spelling of the name itself has a numerical value. And then <coughs> you have the spelling of the name, and then the Aleph, the, uh, then the, so, um, 
then the Aleph itself has a spelling, the Lamed has a spelling, and the Pei has a spelling. You see, so it's almost like, almost like an infinite uh, progression of different numerical values of different spellings as you go more and more. And that is, is a very important concept in Kabbalah. In other words, the name of the letter itself, how it's spelt, is Kabbalistic. And the numerical values of that is all part of the secrets of the Torah. It's called the Miloi, and so on. So every letter has a Miloi. For instance, Hey. So Hey can be written three ways. Hey, 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 Aleph, or Hey, Yud. You see? So depending on the spelling, that tells you which Hey it is. In other words, there could be there are really three A's depending on how it's spelled, the name, how the name is spelled. It could either be Hey Hey, Hey Aleph, or Hey Yud, which obviously will influence the total value or the gematria of the letter in which the Hey is found. You see, <clears throat> so all of these have tremendous kabbalistic uh, uh, implications and so on. One of the uh, yeah, uh, and so on. In any case. <clears throat> uh, are those like dimensions on the letter? Meaning, it's the same letter just with different faces. Yeah. So to speak? Uh, yeah. Well, in a certain sense, yes. You know. You know. Uh, I mean, one of the classics, for instance, is the the, the name of God, which is Yud K Vav K, a Yud then a Hey then a Vav and a Hey, right? <coughs> so the Yud is Yud Vav Dalit, fine. But the Hey could be either Hey Aleph, Hey Yud, right, or Hey Hey. Then the Vav is either Vav Vav, or Vav Yud Vav, or Vav Aleph Vav. You see? So it comes out that the Yud Ke Vav Ke, which is the name of God, has four different types of numerical values, because depending on what the name of the letter is, <coughs> the spelling of the name of the letter, they will indicate the um, different um, forms of Yud Ke Vav Ke. So either it's spelled, without going into the spelling, it's either spelled Av, Ayin Bey, 72. Okay, that means the gematria of Yud Vovke based on the, spe the, the spelling of the name of the letters can either be 72, Av, 63, Sag, Ma is 45, and Ban is 52. That's called Asmav. Av, Sag, Ma, and Ben. So they're actually four different forms of the Shem Havoyah. The tetragrammaton, as they say, you see. Uh, well, 26, <coughs> 26 is the normal gematria of the letters itself, but the miloi will give you different numerical values depending on what the name is and how you spell the name of any letter. So yud uh, and hey, yud doesn't change, but the vav, the vav changes and the hey changes in terms of its name. Like I said, you know, a hey could be spelled hey aleph, hey yud, or hey hey. You see, like I just said, you know, so when you add up the, the names, the spelling of the names of the particular letters, since there are variations in the spelling of the names, you have different gematrias. And each gematria represents the name of God at a different spiritual level. You see, the greatest level of all is called Av. Ayin Beis, which is 72. So the gematria so of the Miloy of Yudke Vavke, which adds up to 72, is the greatest of all the, f the energies or the uh, force of God.
No, no, we say different ones depending on where in the tefillah you are. But, you know, that, then you get out of it, you're into a whole different topic, which is... Uh, you're, not saying, you're not saying that anyway. All I'm trying to tell you is that the Yudke Vovke itself, which is that tetragrammaton, the four letters of God, right? Even though it looks like Yud K Vov K, which is 26, but the, the name of each letter has different spellings. You see? And therefore, the gematria, because we add up the, the, the letters of the spelling itself, wait, spelling itself, uh, and therefore, that means that there are four uh, names of God. All Yud K Vov K, but depending on the value of the spelling of the name, uh, you have different uh, levels of, of, uh, of the name of God and they represent different spheres. For instance, Av means the, the gematria of Yudke Vovke, which is gematria, numerical value 72, represents either Keser or Chochmo, which I will speak about and so on, you know. I don't want to get too involved in that, but I'm just saying that <clears throat> the gematria itself is a tremendous area of Drush, of, of ex expounding the, uh, the, the, the Torah and so on. Now, of course, this is all Kabbalistic and so on, but it just shows you the enormous expanse of what the Torah is composed of and so on, you know. In any case, <clears throat> uh, so that's the concept of, so the greatness of Torah lies in its enormous amount of wealth, in fact, its infinite amount of information, you see. Any case, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what's important also to understand is that what the Jews have to do is bring in the divine, the Ain't Soif, or the divine, uh, the divine force or energy into the creation, down. And as a result, to rectify creation by allowing God a greater entry into the world and ultimately a complete entry and that of course will be at the Messianic era <coughs> and so on. Uh, I had said before some of these concepts before but basically this is uh, what the Jews have to do. This world is Ilm Hazer and this world is a world which is devoid of the presence of God as we would, as was certainly true in the Beis Hamikdash time, although the the Shechina, the divine presence, is still located by the Kaisel and so on. But in any case, <clears throat> and it is the task of the Jews to bring down God, so to speak, into this world, into Ilum Hazet, and that's what our task. What is interesting is that all of these, all Jews, have been assigned to different areas of creation. No two people are assigned to the same area. <clears throat> different people, all different people are assigned to different areas of creation in order to masakin, which means to rectify, to bring the presence of God into that area, you see. So therefore, basically, every Jew is unique, you see. And um, you must do the job. If you don't do the job, in other words, that job has been given to you. If you don't do the job, then you got to come back and complete the job, you see? And therefore, the totality of all the Jews, the Jews, Jew, all the Jews, which means all the Neshamas of Klai Yisrael, all the souls of the Jewish people, ultimately will bring in 
the presence of God throughout the entire creation. You see, that's a very important idea. So each individual is assigned a specific area. And that also, by the way, whatever area you assign to, that determines who you are, it determines your task, it determines your incarnation, your Gilgal. It's all determined in many ways by what is the area assigned to you, which by the way is determined by the nature of your neshama, who you really are in the grand scheme of all the neshamas, and so on. Uh, you know, that, that exp that, that's really the explanation of the complete different variety of all the neshamas. So therefore, that's the job of the Jew, you see. Now, how do you bring the do the tikkun? How do you bring God back? So the essential way, of course, is the mitzvahs. Each Jew, in his own assignment, when he does the taryag mitzvahs, okay, then he brings the different energies into the world. Energies, I mean God, the presence of God, the Shekhinah, into the entire creation, when he does the taryag mitzvahs. Uh, so each mitzvah really can enlighten with a, enlighten with a presence of God uh, in, in a certain way. Now, what is unique, and here we begin to understand the greatness of Torah, not only in terms of what its contents are, but in terms of what it does. <clears throat> there are ten spheres, ten divine forces, which God uses to create realities. This is what happens. The greatest of all the forces which I had mentioned is called Keser or Crown. Uh, the ten forces are Keser, Chochman Bina, okay, then you have Chesed, Gvur, and Tferes, Netzachoy, Yisoyed, Malchus, and so on. <clears throat> but the root of all the spheres is called Keser, which is called the Crown. It is the root of all of them, but not only that, as such, it is the supplier of all the energy, all the divine energy of all the spheres below it. You see, it is the major sphere that it's the major force that creates the reality of the future world, Oilam Haba. And therefore, it is the major sphere that produces whatever will happen in Oilam Haba. In other words, that revelation of God in Oilam Haba is produced by Keser. You see, <clears throat> so obviously Keser is a primary sphere, you see. And obviously what it would mean is that if you have access to Keser, there is nothing greater, you see. <clears throat> Besides that, if you have access to Keser, and if you are able to bring it down to this world, in, or, or actually the, the spiritual domains and so on, then what would happen is you would be able to do a tikkun on the entire creation at one time. Although not completely, but you would be able to pervade all of creation. Because since Kesser is the root of everything, therefore Kesser is all over creation. It pervades completely the creation itself, you see. So imagine if a person can have access to this sphera which is the greatest of all the spheres, it is the root, it is the major conduit to everything else, and it connects to every aspect of creation, which would be incredible, you see, then you would have a force which is unbelievable. 
you know, the power of that force is beyond comprehension. Now imagine if you had access to that force, you know. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, can we have access to that force? And the question then would be, it obviously has to be one of the Tariyag Mitzvahs. It has to be one of the 613 commandments that would have access to that force, you know. And the answer is, yes. There is one mitzvah that connects the Kesah. If that was the case, uh, that mitzvah would be the greatest of all the mitzvahs, wouldn't it? Because it has the greatest connection to the greatest sphera, which pervades all creation. And what is that mitzvah? Torah. That's why Torah is so great. When a person learns Torah, then he has access to Keser, which is something which we cannot even begin to describe. And Keser, like I said, is so powerful, it is the root of all divine energies. It is the root of all divine enlightenments, you see. In fact, it is able to enlighten an individual with a knowledge of God that is incomprehensible, like I said, because the basic Kesser is the light, the, the, the enlightenment uh, in the future world. Uh, so, Torah, therefore, which can connect to Kesser and expand it, so to speak, therefore, is the greatest of all mitzvahs. Everything. It's greater than anything. It's greater than any of the Taryag that you can imagine. That is why it says Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam. That the mitzvah of learning Torah is greater than all mitzvahs combined. Why? Because it is connected to the greatest of all spheres. That is the, the incredible level that Torah is. You know, and the more you learn, you know, that's why you find, you know, uh, and you will meditate in it, you will learn it day and night. You know, day and night. Why? Because with, the, with an access to Kesser, the entire creation is rectified in an incredible way. The more Torah you learn, the greater is the rectification of the entire world. You see. Now, it makes sense why, because if you think about it, <clears throat> if Kesser ultimately is the root of everything, yes, right, which means it is a power source of all the other spheres, what is Torah? We now realize what Torah is. Torah is a document that contains everything. It contains all of creation. So think about that. So it's a perfect pair. The document that contains everything, right, all knowledge, everything God ever did, clearly is connected to the force that is the root of all spheres and essentially has created everything. You see? That's the, obviously that's the logic. You're looking at a document which is the architectural plans of creation, is connected to the force which crea made creation at the bottom level root. So if you learn one, then you connect to the other. You see the logic. One really is connected to the other. It explains the other. Because the nature of Torah is that it has everything in it, then it is connected to that force which has everything in it. 
See the logic? Makes sense. And therefore, when you learn Torah, <coughs> you produce uh, an incredible amount of, uh, an, uh, an incomprehensible amount of divine energy, divine force, Ein Soif, Shechina, when you learn Torah. And that's why, uh, you know, people are always saying, you got to learn, you got to learn. You got to learn Torah and so on, you see? Why? Because of that and so on, you know? And that's the only mitzvah that God connected to Keser. All other mitzvahs are connected to other spheres. And they allow those spheres to pervade creation. Certainly to your assigned area. But the beauty of Keser, since it is so fundamental, is connected to all of creation. So imagine a guy learning Torah, and he's connected to all of creation. And he's able to rectify all of creation by learning Torah. This is what happens. That is why Torah is Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam. It's the greatest of all the mitzvahs combined. Because, like I said, it has that connection. Uh, and therefore, uh, it behooves every person to really spend as much time learning Torah because of that unbelievable advantage. You see. It's not, you know, it's, to learn Torah is not just a mitzvah to know the will of God, which it is. You know, because if you learn Torah, then you know the will of God, and therefore you're able to implement the will of God, which is true. But on a mystical, Kabbalistic level, it's much greater than that that Torah can bring an enlightenment, a rise in consciousness at the level of Keser, which is fundamentally will be revealed in Oilam Habo, in the world to come. You see. So that is an understanding of why the Torah is so great. But, so you can say, wait a minute, you mean I have to sit and learn the Torah to, to get this done? And I'll tell you the good news. Yes, you have to learn the Torah, but there are many different ways of learning. You can activate Keser, like I said, by learning Torah. But learning Torah is very interesting. It has many different forms. What do I mean? Okay. What happens if you're learning, right? And you get tired. And you got to relax. You know, because your brain is using a lot of energy. Right? And like you're really getting exhausted because that's what happens. So you gotta, you, you know, you wanna relax, you know, and so on, you know, right? So what do you do? You know, you sit back, close your eyes, and just, you know, space out whatever you do to relax, right? Or you meditate, whatever, you know, you know, and so on, right? Do you know that that is considered learning Torah? That's considered learning Torah, which means that if you relax and rest, for the sake of being able to get back into learning, then that is considered learning Torah. You see, obviously at a minimal level. But do not think that, well, I'm relaxing, what am I doing? You know, I mean, nothing is happening wrong. Since you are relaxing in order to get into Torah, that itself connects to Keser. Isn't that amazing? Where do we see that? Because it says in the bracha of Birchus Torah, that we make before learning Torah, last soik Torah, right? To engage in learning Torah. Wait a minute, what does engage mean? Right? To engage, it doesn't say Lilmoy Torah, to learn Torah. It says to engage in Torah, which means that anything you do which will engage 
or is done for the purpose of learning, even if you're relaxing, that is considered learning Torah. It's an amazing concept, but uh, that's part of it, okay? So that's, that's the first level. Imagine that, you're relaxing and it's as if you're learning Torah. You, get, you connect the Kesa, which is incredible when you think about that, you know? Now, the second level of learning Torah, so to speak, or connecting to Kesa, right? Is called to look at the Oysias. You know, when they read the Torah and they lift the Torah, Hagba, right? Make sure you look at the letters. Because that also is considered learning Torah, right? And that will connect the Keser, right? To bring an incredible Tikkun rectification to the world. Reading By looking at the letters. Reading or looking? L looking. Just looking. Just looking. That? What? That I can't hear you. How's that work? Again, because anything connected to Torah works. That's what we begin to see. It doesn't have to be only learning. You know, to rest in order to learn is considered Torah, and therefore you connect the Kesa, right? To look at the letters is considered, of the Sefer Torah, right? Uh, is considered uh, connecting the Kesa, learning Torah, but it has to be on a Sefer Torah, right? So when they raise the Sefer Torah, you know, look at the letters. That's why when I get an Aliyah, you know, so after the Aliyah, I make my bracha, and I, you know, obviously not only that, but you're reading it also, and you're hearing it read, right? So when I go on the side, when the next guy comes out to get Aliyah, I always move the guy a little over, and I stand next to him to look at the Torah. Right? Hey, it's a freebie. Right? Why shouldn't I? You see? So I do that all the time, you know, unless the guy can't move the guy whatever you know but generally I don't want to look at a Chumash most of the time everybody else when they're there so they're looking at the Chumash right while the guy is reading I don't do that I don't look at the Chumash I move right next to the guy and I stand together with him so to speak looking at the letters of the Torah would looking at a Chumash also constitute even on a lower level <clears throat> yes it would be but it's not the same as if you look at a Sefer Torah you know okay so that's a second level of Torah by looking at the the, uh, the 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 letters of the term. The next level is if you read, if you pronounce the words. Even if you don't, again, this is all considered learning. If you read the Torah, you pronounce the words and so on, that also connects to the Torah. And therefore you're connected to Kesah. Remember, but there are different levels of, you know, of connecting to Kesar. The critical thing is that you connect it to Kesar. That's the critical thing, you see. And that's the most powerful force of all. Even though, you know, there's the obviously gradations or degrees, you see. But to pronounce the word itself is, will connect you to Kesar. And that is like learning Torah. Okay? So that's level number three. Yeah, that only Toshib Ksav or even Toshib Alpeh carries some sort of... Uh, that would be Toshib Ksav, as far as I know. Toshib Ksav, you know. The next level is to understand what you're reading. Havono. That is the next level up. So when you understand Torah, you see, that's a tremendous advantage. Obviously, it's greater than just looking at the letters, pronouncing them. Because now you understand the Torah, you see, 
and obviously when you understand Torah, you understand the, the concepts of the Torah. See? So to learn, let's say, Mishnayis, or to learn uh, you know, Gemara, whatever, once you understand that, right, then you will connect to Keser, to understand. Now, what's important also, you see, is understanding itself has many different levels. You know, somebody can understand Torah, but basically he translates the words and he understands the meaning of the words. You know, what was that? The pshat. The pshat, yeah. The simple meaning of the words. He translates the words and therefore he understands them, right? So that is in the category of havona, to understand the Torah. But somebody who now delves into the words itself and begin to understand, you know, the meaning at a deeper level, you know what that this is that, that this mitzvah what it really is and so on you know the, what's called the details or the analysis of the Torah itself that itself is a much greater level than somebody who just reads and translates now but somebody who organizes and who sees what's called not just analysis who understands the details of the Torah but somebody who connects the ideas together that's called synthesis where he sees the connections right that's much greater because then you're looking at what's called teferis beauty because what is beauty beauty is a harmonious blend of many many different ideas which are fragmented but when you put it all together that's called teferis or beauty right Beauty is, you can have beauty in many things, right? Let's say beauty in music, right? Beauty in music is where, where all the notes form a, a melody. That's beauty. You know, if you take a look at Beethoven, for instance, right? It's just a bunch of frequencies, sound frequencies. That's what the notes are, right? But when you listen to one of his, his uh, symphonies or whatever, you know, it's incredible. Why? Because it's the, each note itself has variations, and then there's a sequence of the notes, right? The whole concept of sequence, that's beauty. Or beauty in a painting, for instance, where you see all the things, elements of a painting together. You know, the, 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 uh, the color, the shape, the perspective, you know, the shades and all that. Everything together, texture and so on. That's beauty when they all come together and they're all connected with a blend together and a harmonious blend, you see. <clears throat> Torah has the same thing. Torah, if it, you connect the dots, because if you think about it, Torah is fragmented, which I'll talk about. Torah is a fragmented document. It doesn't seem to be ordered, you know. It, where's the sequence here? And so on. There's an enormous amount of information missing. The sequence is out of order, as they say, and so on. But if you connect the, the dots together into what's called a a, a, this, a landscape you know where you see the whole global picture and so on then the, the, the connection to Kesser is much greater than if you just analyze the Torah in and of itself you see because really when you think about it just like an architectural plan it's all connected you know you may have different individual plans like the electrical plan you know, the plumbing plan you know what i'm saying or the uh, or the you know the uh, structural plan and so on you know the heating plan and so on the hvac you know but when you look at the master diagram they all connect exactly you see 
Torah, when you look at all the different plans, so to speak, or the fragments, they all connect. That's why in many ways, which I will talk about, Torah is a jigsaw puzzle. You know? Think about it. If uh, somebody ever gave you a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, right? What would you do? You know? You'd ask for the box, wouldn't you? Because you're not going to sit there and put the pieces together without the box. Because the box has what? All the pieces connected in terms of its true relationship. You see? Terror is the same way. Problem is Terror doesn't have a box. So we're left with a jigsaw puzzle. You see? But it's possible to put together if you know how to induce which is a concept of synthesis. <coughs> How do you syn uh, synthesize information? By induction. Which is what? That if somebody gives you a piece, you could put it together, you could put, make a claw out of it, whatever. And so on. But, uh, and so therefore, somebody who connects the dots of Torah is at a much greater level of uh, the, uh, of the uh, connecting to Kesser, and so on. And obviously, the more you learn the Hasmada, right? That's mother also, you know, the more you learn, the greater, not only the connection, but the greater the clarity, right? The greater the clarity because you review again and again, and not only that becomes part of you, therefore the connection to Kesser, obviously, is also much greater, and so on, you see. Uh, well, not only that, but also what you learn is also critical. And third has many areas. You know, it has the first, the greatest area, which the Ramchal says, by the way, is called Yediyas Elokos, the knowledge of God. Somebody studies Hashkafa in Kabbalah. That's where the knowledge of God is. Okay, so the greatest amount that you can bring down from Keser is to study, according to Ramchal in Der Chochma, okay, is to study Hashkafa in Kabbalah. That's where it's at. Okay, that brings down or draws down the greatest amount of awe of Keser. Why? Because it is a direct information about God. It's about God and His ways, His behavior, how He, how he relates to the entire creation. So what the Ramchal says in Der Chachma, which is his Sefer, is that learning Kabbalah and learning Yediyah Selokos, which ultimately is all about God, which is Ashkofa, Der Hashem, Das Funus, and so on, which by the way this year is all about, right, is the greatest uh, access that you have to Keser. Isn't that amazing? So therefore by coming to the Shia, right, you know, might as well promote it. By coming to the Shia, right, and or watching it on the internet, YouTube, wherever you guys are, right, you are accessing Keser at the greatest level because you are learning about God, right? You're learning about who He is, what He does, why He does it, how He relates with the entire creation at all the different levels. You're also learning about history, you know, who God is in terms of history, in terms of the, the great uh, journey of man, you know, through history and so on. And, and not only that, when you understand the, 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 the hand of God, you know, even in, in current events, you're reading and learning about God. I mean, who cares about politics, really? The whole point of it is to understand the messianic process, which is Torah, right? And how it's being manifest in today's world, right? So therefore, in that sense, you're learning about God. So isn't that amazing? Not only can you enjoy the Shia, 
where you're actually getting the biggest bang for the buck, as they say in English, you know, and, and so on. <clears throat> so that's also part of the enormous amount that you can bring down, you see. Not, not bad, you know, it's not bad for well, how many different ways you can access the Torah and to access the greatest force of all. It's amazing when you think about that, you know. That's one of the reasons why the Ramchal was, was so engrossed in Kabbalah and Ashkofa and so on and all the other Mekubalim, the Ari and the Rishash and so on. That's why it became uh, an essential part of their limud, of their studies, because in the end, of all in Torah itself there are levels or gradations of how much you can ac access and do the tikkun of creation and that's one of the reasons why um, besides the fact that they're driven to know what's called the internal structure some people like to know you know they, they see a watch what's the next thing they do they take it apart because they have to know how it works you know these guys are into what's called premius you know they're people like that you know you know they have this problem that whatever they see, they gotta, what's called, they gotta get into the guts and figure out how it works and so on, you know? So Kabbalah Nashkofo is called getting into the guts of the entire creation, you see? Now based on what the Ramchal says, which is interesting, is that learning Hashkofo and Kabbalah in a certain sense is greater than learning Halacha, based on what the Ramchal says, yes. Even though Halacha is Torah, you see, and to analyze the details of halacha, all the arguments, or whatever, the shittis, rishonim, achronim, and so on, and you know, the shulchanach, whatever, that's Torah, of course, at an incredible level. But based on what Ramchal says in Terah Chochmah, there are levels, the, the content of the topics you learn also plays a very important factor, as I've just explained and so on, you know. <coughs> uh, another aspect, of learning Torah is what's called the Amelus. How much are you, how much effort are you expending to know the Torah? That's called the Amelus, you see. And Amelus is critical when you learn Torah, you see. Amelus means effort. How much effort are you expending to learn? You know, some guys are lazy. Hey, you know, you know, let me just read the superficial understanding, no problem, you know, right? Some guys, what's called in Yiddish horva, that they, that they really labor to understand the Torah, like I say, not just, you know, to, they analyze the Torah, what is the definition, for instance, of the halacha, what are the properties of the halacha, what are the conceptual distinctions, and so on. They're really into what's called in the popular yeshivish uh, sprach, lomdus. <coughs> you see, so a melis which includes lomdus is greater than just learning superficially, you see. But remember, it's all Torah. So therefore, you are going to access Keser. But look at the different variations in terms of the topics, the length of it, how much you learn and know and so on, you know. So Amelis is a critical aspect. Effort, labor, how much you expend to expend uh, effort to know is a critical factor in how much ore you will bring down, how much light you will bring down, you see. Also what's very important is called, besides the effort, is called kavana, intent. Intent plays a great role in how much access to Kessa you can get. You see, there are guys who learn, why? 
you know, hey, I got to show off, you know, to my father-in-law, right? Or to my wife, right? And the guys are doing it for that reason, you know, and so on, you know. I'm not saying that, you know, it's no good in that sense, you know. But listen, you can't compare somebody who's learning for some ulterior motive, right? Than somebody who wants to learn to know the will of God. Or he wants to fulfill the myths of learning Torah. I mean, these, these intents are much greater than somebody who's learning for some type of an ulterior motive, you know. Although I'll be honest with you, today, today, there are so few people learning Torah, I don't care what your motive is. <laughs> you know, what I say today is learn Torah for any reason. You know, obviously not just, uh, you know, not just to. Uh, well, I want to brag, I want to show how great I am, and so on. I'm not saying you should learn for Gaiva, you know. But basically today, it doesn't make a difference. There are so few people learning Torah that God is happy with anybody that's learning Torah today. Because you think about it, where is everybody today? They're into everything else. Internet, smartphones, right? They're into pleasure, you know, all kinds of vacations and, you know, and, you know beautiful cars and magnificent houses and working money to get all this stuff. That's where everybody's mind is today, you know? Sports. Sports, yes. Anyway, I never understood anybody. You know, sometimes you meet guys that can watch a baseball game for three, four hours or a football game, you know? You know, I, 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 I personally, I cannot, I cannot understand that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. I mean, maybe you try for, you know, whatever, five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, but four hours for a whole game, it's just beyond belief, you know? Anyway, what can I say? Watching a golf match. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are guys who watch a baseball game, the whole game. I want to tell you something. You know, baseball is one of the most boring sports you can ever have. It's boring, you know, until you wait, you know, it's like the guy gets up to bat, you know, he says, hey, come on already, hit the ball. Stop it already with the strikes, you know, and he walked the guy, come on, you know, you know. I remember, I, just as a personal note, I was in the, I was, I think it was in high school. So they took us to a, ba- a baseball game. This is a long time ago, they don't do this today. You know, so they took us to a baseball game in Yankee Stadium, you know. I tell you, after two innings, I went crazy. (laughs) Come on, nothing is happening. But then something happened. You know what happened? Apparently, the batter got into an argument with the empire, and they started hitting each other. (laughs) So thank God for that excitement. Like watching paint scroll. Or more scroll, right? Uh, So so all of a sudden, it became more exciting because they were actually fighting on the field. This empire in the battle, he probably called, you know, he called him out when he really wasn't out. You know, who knows what went on, you know? But uh, so there was a little excitement, you know? But I left after the second inning. I, I'm going crazy here, you know, and so on, you know. Anyway, but um, uh, so today, basically, anybody who learns, right, is on a tremendous status with God. You don't realize how great you are just to open up a, ter- a safer. Open up a safer, right? You don't realize how great you are. Just, just for every, basically for almost any motive. Because you are connecting to Keser, which is the greatest tikkun of the Brio. It's the greatest rectification of creation. And therefore you are accelerating 
the process of Mashiach. <clears throat> what I would say, you know, in, 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 as a result of all this, <clears throat> is that learning Torah is qualitatively different than doing any other mitzvah. That's how great it is, and so on. So what I would say that every Jew, <coughs> right, should make a seder, uh, should make a time period when he learns 30 minutes of Torah. I don't care what it is. A day should not go by when you don't learn any Torah. 30 minutes, what's a half hour, you know? That's what every day, every, every day should do, uh, every Jew should do. One day, 30 minutes, and so on. Why? Because at least you've connected to the greatest mitzvah of all, the greatest tikkun of all. And when I say tikkun, it's not just the creation, remember. It's the Yonishama. That's what we're talking about. Remember, what creation simply means ultimately is that God re-enters, so to speak, the physical universe, right? Or the spiritual universe. But what it really means is that He, he enters the area that you're connected to, which, which is the framework of your soul. So really he re-enters your neshama. That's right. When you learn Torah, it's an entry of the Ein Soif. It is the entry of the Infinite One, God, Shechina, into your neshama. Because what is rectified? It's not just creation is rectified, it's you who are connected to creation are rectified. Now, even if you don't feel it now, but ultimately, in Oilam Haba, in the future world, you won't believe the status that you've gotten because you are one of the people that learned Torah. <coughs> that's right. And There's a whole... Well among you, that's what yeah. yeah, in fact, you, you know where you see that? But it, even if you, if it, not just looking at Oilam Haba, that you will be in an incredibly different place in Oilam Haba because you learned Torah, but even here, there's a famous statement Chazal bring down that God says, Alavai, all that it should be that they have abandoned me, but not abandoned my Torah. It's an astounding statement. Uh, you see, <clears throat> what does that mean? That what God is saying is that, listen, if you want to abandon me, obviously it's terrible, you know? But you think that, well, there's no way you can ever come back. But if you do not abandon the Torah, the energy, the light, the consciousness rising of Torah will bring you back to me. In other words, Torah in and of itself is a device that will restore you or bring you back to God Himself. Even though you've left God. Why? Because like I said, when you connect Keser, ultimately you rectify creation, enormous. And not only that, you rectify at the same time your neshama in Oilam Haba, in the future world, but also you have an input you influence your neshama here because you are connecting to Torah. You see? So even if you learn Torah, you know, even if you don't have these lofty ideals and so on and so forth, and with the right intent and all that, learning Torah, even, you know, as long as you learn the Torah, and you see how many different ways, you will have incredible amount of divine influence, even in the physical world. That's how great Torah is that will actually reach down, so to speak, to you, to your neshama, to your soul, and actually elevate you, 
even here. And that's what God says. Because that will bring them back to me. Not in Oilam Habo, but here it will elevate your soul. So if you really want to get spiritual in the greatest possible way, open up a Sefer. Learn Torah, you see? So I would encourage everybody to learn Torah for what? For 30 minutes a day. Something. Open up the Sefer. And the same thing goes for women. Okay? Because Torah is critical even for women. <clears throat> and many women make a mistake. They think, well, I went to Beis Yaakov, I went to seminary, and what else do I have to do, right? That's a mistake. There's a Gemara Brochus that says, wait a minute, men are, Jews, male Jews, are commanded to learn Torah. Yes? So the Gemara asks, with what is a woman zoichet to ilam habo? Huh? What is that supposed to mean? Women do mitzvahs all the time. But the Gemara says, that's what you realize, that if you don't have a connection to the Torah, you are in a dangerous position. So the Gemara says, with what are women, with what are women, and that's with all they're doing mitzvahs of chesed and mitzvahs and the Torah mitzvahs and uh, uh, women do so many mitzvahs. I mean, it's incredible. Because what the Gemara is revealing, Gemara and Brachos, what the Gemara is revealing, revealing is that, you know, there's two concepts. You got to do mitzvahs. But apparently everybody has to have a dosage of Torah. Even women. So the Gemara asks that question. Why do they get Oyelim Habor? That's not withstanding. Now, remember, of course they're going to, of course they will be rewarded. That's not the issue. But to be rewarded with Oyelim Habor, you need Torah. So what will happen is, is that they could get rewarded here. I mean, God is capable of, you know, you know making you uh, fabulously wealthy and giving you everything else. But the question the Gemara seeks to answer is how do women get Edom Habba? And the answer is because they bring their kids to learn Torah. In other words, even if they don't learn the Torah directly, you see, but because they bring their kids to the yeshiva to learn, so that already is they contribute to the Torah education of their children, right? That will get them Ilam Habor, which is interesting. That means you can get, you, your connection to Torah can be even if you contribute, which gives you an interesting loophole, you see. <clears throat> so what a guy can do is if you contribute, for instance, to a yeshiva, or you have these Yisachar woolen contracts where you can actually contribute to a guy learning Torah. You know what I'm saying? And you split the reward, not exactly, but you see? That's called a Zvulun Yisachar woolen contract. But if you give tzedakah to Yeshiva or any institute that is involved in Torah, not just Chesed, but Torah, uh, then that's called contributing to the Torah and th that's the same idea as bringing the kids to, to learn Torah. Therefore, every woman should be mindful of that, in that sense. You need to do something that is connected to the Torah itself. Now, but today, it's actually it's very different to what it used to be. In the old days, you know, nothing was translated. But today, everything is translated. Even the Tzenorena, which is what, you know, for women and so on, which has all the Chazal for women, even that's translated into English. Today, who has an excuse? Everything is translated into English. I mean, we have the, what's called the art school revolution. 
It's astounding what these people have done. You see? So today you can create, there are thousands of, of svarim, or books, that have been translated into English that actually bring down Torah. Whether it be, you know, anything. I mean, there are thousands of them and so on, you know? Which is actually the learning of Torah and so on, you know? But reading stories, I don't think, is one of them, you know? You can't read a story about some god who learned Torah, you know? You have to actually read or learn the Torah itself. But there are thousands of volumes of Svarim that have been translated, you know? So the truth is, everybody can have an access, can have a chilek in Torah itself, you see? So we now understand many really incredible things about Torah. <coughs> we see that, the, um, that Torah is critical to access. We now understand why Talmud Torah connected Kulam, why it is so great, you see, because it can access the greatest divine enlightenment, Shekhinah, divine presence of all. And basically that really everybody has to have some connection to the Torah. You see, and that there are levels of access and so on, depending on if you look at it, if you read it, if you understand it, and so on. Um, that everybody can have access to the Torah itself, and so on. In any case, so that's why, essentially, why Torah is so great. Um, I should stop here, and so on, you know. In any case, um, um, so it doesn't conclude this year, but you now have a much greater grasp of the importance of Torah. Because like I said, remember, Torah is the document that is all about creation, everything. Uh, so therefore, if you are involved in that document, Torah, and by the way, it includes not only Torah, but Nevi'im Enksuvim, Tanakh. It's not just the five books the Chumash, Chumashim, it's all Torah and so on, you know. Uh, and if you can access that, then of course, and it includes Torah Shabbat Peh. But the, the, way you, but you, but the problem with Torah Shabbat Peh, you have to understand it. You can't just look at the letters of the Gemara. It doesn't work. The access can only be, since it's Torah Shabbat Peh, the access can only be if you understand uh, the, let's say, the Mishnayas or the Gemara or whatever. And then you can connect to Kessler and so on and so forth. Okay, I think I've answered the question uh, in terms of why the uniqueness of learning Torah and why it is so great. Yes? Rob uh, said he would answer this question uh, at this year. What is the meaning of famous Chazal Torah, Kutshubiru Torah, Yisrael, Yes. How we Chag? How's that Chag? Torah is a document no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. The statement is that Kuchibrichu, God, the Shekhinah, right? We have Torah is two. Yisrael is three. And by the way, Eretz Yisrael is four. There's also four. Anyway, but let's just stick to the three. What that Chazal says is an incredibly mystical idea. It means that it's called an identicality. You know, you ever see water? Water at one form is ice. At another form it is liquid. And at another form it is gas. But it's the same thing, it's water. What is interesting, what Chazal allude to, is that the divine presence, right, is identical to the Torah, but Torah in the form of the spheres. You see, remember I said? 
that the Torah reveals is a complete acts of God which are every combination of spheres ever done so what it's really referring to the Torah as its form of spheres because remember one of the forms of Torah is or the main form of Torah what it really is is the divine energy is the spheres those are the things that create everything all reality so therefore the Shekhinah is identical to the spheres okay and the Neshama is a manifestation of the spheres that's really what we are you see when the Torah says Selam Elohim the image of God what does it really mean? the image of God is the ten spheres you see that's why when they look at the body of man you see he resembles the structure of the spheres the question is why should that matter? because we are really identical we are an expression of the spheres in human form in other words if the spheres could ever become physical they would become a human being that's why the head represents Keser okay uh, Keser and the head the, actually the head has three areas that's why there are three brains by the way Keser Chochman Bino you know uh, that's why the head is Keser and so on and uh, the right arm is Chesed the left arm is Gvura the trunk or the torso is Teferis the right leg is Netzach the left leg is uh, is Hoid uh, and the reproductive area is Yesoid and Malchus why is that? because if the spheres could become physical they would look exactly like a human so what we really are is we are manifestations of the divine energies of the spheres that's why the Neshama is incredible we don't realize but the soul of man is really a manifestation of the spheres at a physical level that's really who you are you see can you imagine that that you are really the spheres in physical form that's what the Neshama is you see and therefore the Neshama is the greatest thing ever created in other words after God and after the spheres what's the greatest thing ever made the Neshama you see everything else is an, everything else is a product of divine energies you see but it is not identical to the spheres we are you see that's what it means by Shekhinah which is God the Torah which are the spheres and the and the and uh, Yisrael the Neshama right that's what really who Yisrael is right is identical because all of them are really part and parcel of a chilek lekaimimau you see but it's a mystical concept and so on but what we begin to understand is the soul of man is so great that it is the greatest product ever made because it is a expression or an extension in physical form of the spheres that's what it means and so on and that also says that the creation itself after man is nothing more than an extension of we of us so you don't realize but the creation is really you extended that's why when you do things there's a whole area of physics called the anthropic principle you see 
where your consciousness creates phenomena. You know, and not, not only that, it's, it's, it, in other words, the universe, the universe knows what you know, and it adapts itself to your knowledge. Huh? The anthropic principle. Anthrop anthros means man. In other words, the universe adapts itself, right, to the consciousness of man. And by the way, that's now a theory in physics. That consciousness creates everything. The question is how? And the answer is that because the universe is really an extension of you. Interesting. And therefore, the greatest aspect of the universe the essential aspect of the universe, creation, that extends from you is Eretz Yisrael. See, that's essentially uh, who you are. So therefore, Eretz Yisrael is part of that identicality, which is interesting. Give an example. You know, just one example, right? Um, if a person speaks Lashon Hara, so he gets Saras, which is not leprosy, but it is a skin skin disorder or the skin discoloration then becomes Tomei he has to leave the uh, encampment and so on you know but you notice he doesn't get it right away his house gets it this Suras Habayas you know the house actually becomes sick right now if he keeps talking Russian horror, right then his clothing gets it yes that's Suras big day of Begodim just look in the Torah you know? And if he keeps speaking Lashon Hara, for instance, right, then he gets it, comes on his skin. So the question is, what does the guy have to do with his house? Right? What does he have to do with his house? Or his clothing? And the answer is, <clears throat> that is the secret of possessions. When you own something, you don't realize that that is part of you. It's possessions is part of you. It's an ontological relationship. It's not a legal situation. Well, I own something so nobody can steal it. No, no, no. That thing that I own, possessions, is really part of me. You see? And therefore, if you steal it, you're stealing part of me. In other words, what the terrorist says is that your possessions, and that's why possessions are so important, you know, to a person, you know, is really an extension of your physical being, of your neshama. It's, it's, it's an extension of you, what you own. Therefore, if you talk Lashon Hara, right, and if I'm saying that your possessions is part of you, that's why it hits your house. Because when it hits your house, it's really hitting you extended. If you keep talking Lashon Hara, then it hits your clothing because your clothing are really you extended. And then finally it will hit your skin because that certainly is you, you see. We don't realize that we are the creation. Not that there is a creation independent of us. We are the creation, you see. But we don't understand how. That explains many ideas in physics and as a result of that, <coughs> We create. We are the creation. You see. And therefore, when we do a mitzvah, what do we misaken? What do we rectify? We rectify God's presence in the world. We rectify ourselves, our souls. But we also rectify creation. That's why creation will change by the Mashiach. It's called Zikoch. How in the world does creation become transparent? 
concept of purifying where all the material matter is removed. How? Because it's not something we do for creation. It's something that we do for ourselves. And automatically when we have zikuch, creation will have zikuch because that is an extension of the neshama. Isn't that interesting? It's a whole different understanding. Yeah. That's the relationship between the neshama, <coughs> the physical body, and of course the creation itself. You see. And it's on a mystical level. We don't see that. We see fragmentation and period or separation. But the truth is everything is connected. Everything. Connected to what? Uh, everything ultimately is connected to the neshama, to the spheres, and to God. You see? And it's one incredible unity. It's an identicality. But this concept of an identicality is a very sublime mystery. I'm just explaining what that means, you see. And that, that, that statement reveals a profound understanding of the world, you see. That man and creation are identical. The neshama and creation are identical. And that's why Suras, right, that skin will hit your building, your clothing, and then you. Because your building, in a certain sense, is your creation. It's your extension, you see. <coughs> and so on, you know. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, they are all identical. That's why when a person sins, he somehow influences creation. He damages some aspect of creation. Why? Because he creates <coughs> or he damages an aspect of his extension. You see, that's the way it works, you see. That's why when a Jew does a mitzvah, he's massacring creation, all of it, and the physical universe. And when a Jew does an avera, he damages different aspects of the physical world and certainly the spiritual world, so on. You know? So creation depends on the Jew. It's really what it is. The rectification of creation is all up to the Jewish people. That's why the Jews are so important, you see. And therefore, like I said, when a Jew learns Torah, that's the greatest repair he can ever do to the physical universe, you see. And it's a very mystical concept, and that's why the, the um, let's put it this way, we energize, or we give life to opposing forces when we sin. You see, because they are really the extension of us. Uh, and when we damage, when we do sin, we damage creation, which has a repercussion on us. And when we do the mitzvahs, then we bring ourselves to what? Shlemus. The job of a Jew to become shalem, perfect, or I should say, the better word is complete. The job of a Jew is to become complete. You ever know, you ever hear that expression? Shlemus, you see? That's what the job of a Jew is, Shlemus. What does that mean? Where he and all his extensions, the spheres and God, will merge into a one being. You see. But it's not that we are God. No, of course not. But that we will then re reconnect, you see, reunite re with God. And that is our perfection. You see, so in the end, it's one vast unity that really is what's going on 
Except we don't realize that, you see. And that, that answers many, many different questions. Okay, I hope I've uh, satisfied sure, something. More, more than, more than satisfied. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah. Question. Um, we say at the end of the Gemara, we say what? At the end of the Tainis. Yeah. Yeah. Mochol is a what? A, uh, a circle. A circle, yeah. Yeah. Why does Gemara use this for Ulam Abba, the Loshan of Gan Eden? What was that? We're talking about Ulam Abba. Yes. Loshan Lavo, yeah. Loshan Lavo. So why is Gemara using the Loshan of Gan Eden? I thought Gan Eden was Ulam Well, technically, it won't happen only in Ulam Abba. Ulam is a whole different experience. It'll happen in Yemai Samashiach. That's what's going to happen. The Shekhinah will descend. Here's what's going to happen, since you asked. The Shekhinah will descend the way it descended on the base of Migdash, or the Mishkan, where there's a, what's called a, a tangible God. You can actually feel Him and connect to Him. We don't know what that means, right? And what will happen is all the Tzaddikim, or all those people who are worthy of being in the Messianic era, will dance around them in celebration that we're the ones who brought the Shekhinah down. You see, I once told you, uh, you know, remember I once said that there was a guy, it wasn't Rodriguez, who was it? Oh. Rivera. Uh, yeah. Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera. I once said that, right? Uh, that I was once listening and he was retiring, right? And he was a what, pinch hitter or something like that? Oh, uh, really, really a pitcher, yeah. I don't know much baseball, about baseball, yeah. but yeah. I, I, don't even ask me anything about baseball, you know? But anyway, and it was a stadium, and I just happened to turn on the radio, whatever, and there was a humongous crowd, and they were cheering this guy. It was just unbelievable. So I said to myself, who is this guy? He's a nice guy, but like, baseball, relief pitcher, you know? cares what does it have to do with the whole tikkun process you know anyway I said if this is what I made a kavachoyma you know a uh, whatever I said if this is what a guy if this is what will happen to a guy who's a retiring relief pitcher right <clears throat> could you imagine what's going to happen when the Jews will have brought the tikkun the Mashiach will come that it's not just the world that will stand in awe of the Jews because they brought God back and we're talking about a presence of God that's beyond belief all the malachim all the angels the hundreds of trillions of angels whatever's out there right every living form will scream with joy at what the Jews did you see, that celebration will be beyond belief. And the epitome of that ce celebration is where God is in the middle and all the Jews circle Him. You see, and they dance with God. You're looking at the greatest celebration in the history of existence. That's what that refers to. So really it happens in 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 Hazer, in Yemois HaMashiach. What happens in in Ganeden? Well, Ganeden then there's Tchisamesim, and then Ganeden is gone. Ganeden is only temporary, you know. But in Oilam Habo, 
it's not just God is in the circle. God is part of you, or you are part of God. You see? And the experience of that is beyond belief, beyond comprehension, you see. But the celebration, you know, is going to be here when everybody in Gan Eden will pour out of Gan Eden, because that's what's going to happen, and come back. And Gan Eden will be empty, basically. And everybody comes back here, and the celebration that we will witness with God is something that is the greatest celebration that ever happened in all existence, in all history. You know, that's what's in the celebration. You know, could you imagine dan dancing with God? No. We don't even know what that means, you know, and so on. <clears throat> imagine dancing with an omnipotent being, omniscient, omnipresent, a God who last time I spoke about Torah can create an infinite amount of worlds, each one never having the same thing in any of the worlds. Imagine dancing with that type of being, incomprehensible, and that will happen. And well, you know what's gonna, what the people are going to say? Which is interesting. It's in the Chazal say, you know, the, the Pesach and, uh, you know, Zeh Hashem, this is the God that we waited and we hoped and is our salvation, you know. That's the, the response of this humongous circle as they dance around God, you know. It is an acknowledgement, you know. It's like, it's like uh, wow, you know. It's the, what's the, called the finito. It's like the end, you know, where everybody says, wow, I can't believe what we did, but we did it, you know. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a happening. It's going to be an event that we cannot even comprehend. And it will happen in the Messianic era, you see, not just, it won't happen in Gan Eden because Gan Eden is going to pour out. Because Gan Eden is only, only a holding place. That's all it is, you know. And then there will be Messianic era. And of course, then there will be Olim Habo. This is all shortly up ahead. Just hang in there, as they say. That's the fulfillment of why creation was created. Yes, that's it. That's it.